And as always, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising and the beautiful game network, BGN. You can go to their websites to see more of their content at firebirdrising.coreair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, or at bgn.fm. And let's get to the show. Welcome to episode 9 of the Rising is One podcast. This is Dominic Kearns, and I'm back from Italy. This is Jeff Went from Firebird Rising, and we've got a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, this is a huge week. Um, kind of really just right off the bat, I come back from a 12-hour flight um, after a really great game in Italy the night before, but whatever, enough about that. Uh, I get back on Monday afternoon, and that's right when the bombshell news gets dropped about uh, Alessandro Rigi and uh, Rooney, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, we get the bad news that Luke Rooney is out for the season with a torn ACL ligament. Uh, Alessandro Rigi is going to be out three to five weeks. Uh, we, we believe it's an MCL sprain. Uh, we, weren't, we weren't told. We know it was a right knee injury. You know, we go back to the match when it happened against uh, OKC. Rooney's walking off the field with the brace on his leg. Rigi's walking off the field in crutches. So you're thinking worst case scenarios. Okay, Rooney's okay. Rigi's maybe not in such good shape. Unfortunately, it's the other way around. And we've lost Rooney for the season. Lose Rigi for three to five weeks. And, and I think uh, it, it kind of showed its, its ugly head this week. Definitely. And um, I also saw online some people saying, you know, the losses of Rigi and Rooney, you know, it might not be that bad. We have a deep roster. But I think that the loss of Luke Rooney, I mean, he's been a pivotal player for several years now. And it's really, for the most part, been a case of as Rooney goes, so goes Rising. Uh, When he's on his game, when he's starting the attacks, the team seems to play at its best. And when he's out... It's a real struggle to find that creative um, presence, especially when Rigi, one of the other creative players, is also out for the next month. Um, so I, I'm of the opinion it is a pretty tough thing to deal with. But what what's your spin on it? Yeah, it, it is a little tough. I mean, you know, we talked about after the match, you know, last week's episode, we talked about how you know Rudy was kind of slotted into a role in this game against OKC where. He wasn't in a normal position where he was playing. They had him more of a sitting back as a defensive mid and asked him to take on a different role. We all know that that's not the Luke Rooney we know. Luke Rooney is the creative guy who likes to be in the middle of the action, likes to be in the middle of the pitch, uh, creating chances, whether it's for Cortez or Bravo or Sean Wright Phillips. And that's the missing piece right now. I mean, we don't have that player right now that's sitting at a number 10 that just screams, this is the guy we need to be distributing the ball to everybody else on the field. We don't have that guy yet. Will we find him in the next couple of weeks? I hope so. Mm-hmm. We didn't see that guy Saturday night. We really didn't see him Wednesday night either. I mean, considering we had a whole different lineup out there Wednesday night but going forward and of course this is another topic we'll talk about later is that you know you could be looking at a new coach coming in in this next week or so how is that going to change the formation how is that going to change the way play is going to be that's going to be interesting to see as well and rising is just going to be learning on the fly as we get into some really important matches um but before we get into what's happening in the future, let's talk about what happened last week. Yeah, let's talk about Wednesday. Let's get into the second round of the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, Phoenix Rising traveled to Fresno to play for uh, PDL side uh, Fresno Fuego. Uh, obviously stayed with the same formation, but brought in a different lineup. I mean, there were a couple of holdovers from Wednesday, you know, from the from the match against OKC. They did hold over with Josh Cohen. They did hold over with Cody Wakasa in the back. 
Uh, they did have Jason Johnson in the midfield. So those holdovers were there, but most of the rest of the roster was a turnover from that Saturday match. Obviously, Rick Chance wanting to save a lot of his players you know, for the, for the big Saturday match against San Antonio. So we get into that. We get into the mat, that match. Obviously, the first 20 to 25 minutes of, of the Open Cup match was a, was a big feeling-out process by both teams. You didn't see a lot of movement from either team. Um, you know, well, there was some movement on uh, by Cohen when he made a huge double save. Yeah, he did make a great double save in the 25th minute. Is he, you know, you know, block, you know, Greer blocks the first shot, but then the second shot gets through, and then Cohen has to make even another save after that, which obviously turns around right after that, earn a corner kick, and then right off the corner from Eric Avila, Cody Wakase in the box. Perfect strike, and you're up one nothing, and now you're on the front foot in the second round, and you're thinking, okay, everything's okay. We definitely know it was okay because two minutes later, Eric Avila gets his first goal of the season on a nice play from from uh, Mike Seth. And it's just a really big sigh of relief there to get two goals like that back to back. Nice to see Avila, one of the new additions, come in and make an impact pretty quick. At this point. There's still a lot of time left to play, but you feel much better about your chances of progressing. Yeah, you do. You do at that point. Um, former Phoenix uh, or former Arizona United slash Phoenix Rising star you know, Jose Cuevas uh, tried to interject himself a little bit in the match there at the end of the first half. He had a he had a, a shot in the 40th that, that Cohen made a save on, and then Cohen made a great save on him right before halftime on a free kick that, that Cuevas hit beautifully, but. Cohen got just enough of it to punch it over the net. Going to the half at 2 nothing, Come back out in the start of the second half. Kept the pressure on. Got the third right away 10 minutes into the second half from, from uh, Mike Seth on a great ball from, from Matt Hurlow. Beautiful ball in, into, into Seth and, and finished it the way he needed to. Correct me if I'm wrong, that was one of the nicer team goals that we've scored this season. There were a few nice passes. It actually was. I mean, I mean, you know, Hurlow could have easily just drilled a shot right there, but saw Mike Seth, and you can't ask for a better layoff than what he did on that play. And and Seth found the back of the net very easily. 3-0, you're in control at this point. I think just putting on the cruise control, taking it home from there, you know, a uh, couple of token appearances by some players late in the game. I, I thought it was nice of Rick Chance to get, you know, Cortez a couple of minutes. I thought it was nice for him to get Omar Bravo on the field just to give the fans of Fresno mm-hmm. a nice chance to, to see him play, even even if it is just for a minute or two. Oh, know. definitely. Fresno is a pretty big market, um, you know, bigger market than a couple of the teams, USL teams out on the Eastern Conference. Um, so I know a ton of people out there, because it's a large Mexican population, would be there to see Bravo. So nice to see them get a chance to see him. And Fresno did pull a goal back, but it was never a situation where Phoenix was really under fire. Yeah, and to come out of that one, 3-1, not only come out of it with a win, come out of it injury-free. And you learn after the game within an hour, instead of traveling to San Francisco to play the NASL Deltas, you're bringing it back home in in in, uh, in a week and a half. So that's a you know that's a wonderful gift to be able to get a home game in the third round of the Open Cup to to host San Francisco. I mean it's it's going to be a great you know it's going to be a great atmosphere. It was definitely a a cherry on top of that night, uh, and kind of funny too because our friend of the pod Kyle was asking the Deltas some uh, lighthearted questions about the Kieser Stadium situation. Um, can we run laps around it and whatnot? And before they could even answer them, the news comes out that they're using Kieser Stadium for something, and it's unavailable. Um, my personal take is that maybe they would rather see a stadium with 6,000 people than 1,500 people because the Deltas have not been drawing too well in NASL this year. So is that what really happened? Probably not, but who knows. And then, of course, later on in the week, the pairings were made for the fourth round of the draw. Fortunately, we come out on the wrong end of the coin flip again, but 
The possibility of going to San Jose is definitely intriguing as a fourth-round matchup if they can get by the Deltas on the 31st of May. To go up to San Jose to play them June 14th, that would be, you know, even even a bigger cherry on the top, you know, to, to get that opportunity once again to face an MLS squad. And that's all you can really ask for is just to get to that fourth round, give yourself a chance against the biggest squads, and then see what happens from there. I think you have to like our odds against the Deltas at home. Um, that's a Delta side that hasn't been doing too well this season, an expansion franchise. Um, and I would expect, if not a full sellout, at least 4,000 fans to get into our stadium on that Wednesday night. It's a 7.30 kickoff. So any season ticket holders out there, um, get your tickets now before they go to the general public on Tuesday. And, I mean, they're cheap seats. It's $3 for supporter section, $5 for all the other season ticket holders. So um, really good opportunity to take in a game, and you don't even have to wait a full week. You get it right in the middle of the week. That kind of comes during the middle of a long road trip, too. So definitely get out there and support the boys. So then we get into Saturday and the, the uh, travel to San Antonio. Um, I don't know what more we can really say about this match, but it just the effort that we saw Wednesday from most of the reserves didn't kind of roll over to the starting 11 that uh, we saw Saturday uh, with San Antonio. Um, very Just, reminiscent of the 2-0 away defeat to Monarchs earlier in the season, where, again, we had some possession to the point where the stats might be deceiving, but on the field, we were clearly second best, and it's a game where the home side could have scored more goals. Um, I mean, how much of that is a credit um, of the home side having really good discipline? I mean, the two away matches we've played have been against Monarchs and San Antonio. Those are the two best teams in USL right now. So keep that in mind. I think next weekend will be very telling. When we play Los Dos, they're a team that's not in the playoffs right now. But even that, with that being said, you need to see more creativity. You need to see more energy on some of those 50-50 balls. Yeah, we just you didn't see a lot of, a lot of uh creativity out of the midfield you didn't see a lot of good movement you know they even though they said we had the possession advantage it just doesn't you know one two three passes yeah you you get the little one two three touches like they had along the sidelines a lot of times but the next connecting pass was nowhere to be found and that that's that's the big concern right now is you you know you can make those passes along the sideline to get you open but if you're not making that next pass in the offensive third of the field, you know, what, what good is, is what you're doing on the sidelines making no sense and, whatsoever? And this is where the losses of Rigi and Rooney come in because Rooney is, like, such a pivotal guy for, one, he's an outlet for the defenders to get him the ball, and then, two, he can make some runs, find people up front, or find people making runs on the wing. He's a real focal point. He's kind of the spoon that stirs the pot. Um, like some of the great teams in Europe. Uh, and then Rigi, I mean, he's a creative presence on the wings. So instead of these little one-two passes, he can actually get by a defender too. And that's something we really didn't see much of on Saturday. So do you want to take us through the nitty-gritty? Yeah, we'll get through the nitty-gritty, and then we'll, we'll provide some, some other little comments that I think are, were interesting afterwards, not only by, by, by those of us watching the game, but I think on social media as well, you'll see there were some interesting little comments as well. Um, obviously, came they tried to go back to the four-two-three-one again, using uh, Miguel Tim and uh, and Matt Watson as the holding mids, putting uh, Cortez out on the left, Sean Wright Phillips in the middle, uh, Omar Bravo on the right, and then putting uh, Jason Johnson up front. I'm still concerned as to where Jason Johnson's true position is. I mean, we saw him play wonderfully when he replaced Rigi out on the left. Is the wing position better suited for him? Maybe it is. I, the other guy, and we'll talk about this later, that I'm struggling with is Omar Bravo right now. I mean, 
I am really struggling with what his position is on this club and what his what his real use is. So, um, so we get into the the early part of the match. You know, the first ten or fifteen minutes, or the first ten minutes of this match, Phoenix Rising did have a good majority of the possession, did create some good plays, earned an early corner in the fourth minute. It was parried away by Restrepo. Cortez got another shot off, albeit not a terribly troubling shot, but still forced Restrepo to make a little bit of a dive to make a save on that ball. So you're thinking, okay, we weathered the first 10 minutes on the road. We're okay. Uh, then we get to the 12th. Mental breakdown in the midfield, Billy Forbes. What a wonderful player Billy Forbes is. I mean, this is the first time we've actually got to see him, you know, the player of the month for March, April for the USL. I mean, I think we now see why he was truly named player of the month. The speed that he has, the vision that he has. It was a beautiful pass from, from Forbes that went to Tierpak out onto the left. And then a really nice job by Chris Tierpak to slot the ball into the middle and <laughs> this is a tough name to pronounce. Aquafe Ajequa yeah, put it in. I'm yeah, going to yeah. go with that. I'm going to own it. <laughs> Ajequa put it in for the goal. Um, one of the better team goals you'll see. Uh, again, Forbes is largely influential in getting past our midfielders, making them look like a couple statues, honestly. And then um, Terpak gets the ball on the wing. It's a real FIFA goal. You get it out to the wing, just slot it into the middle, and a guy taps it home. Uh, they don't get much more FIFA than that. Yeah. But but, the, but but a lot of the problem on that goal was you know basically simple. We had a lot of players doing a, ball, a lot of ball watching. You can't you can't sit there and ball watch. You've got to put the pressure on the ball. Cody uh, uh, Victor Vasquez didn't put any pressure on the ball out on the left. You know as it got out to tear pack. Ball gets into the middle. There's no pressure on Ajaqua. Ajaqua by either Rob, by either by Rob Ramage or Jordan Stewart. And you know, Cohen has no chance. You know, right. Um, what what really is mind-boggling too? You see three rising bodies in the vicinity of Ajaqua, and yet no one is marking him as he gets in to six yards out. Really, I mean, it's just he can blast it from six yards. So, like you said. No chance for Cohen. So we get through the the middle 15, 20 minutes, and and San Antonio keeps the pressure up, forces turnovers in the midfield. Uh, Tierpak gets a shot off in the 25th that Cohen has to make a save on. Uh, Forbes forces another turnover in the 37th and whips it into the box. Just misses uh, Vega on on the run, but Vega made a beautiful run on that play. the only really hard chance by Rising came three minutes short of, of halftime. You know, Cortez takes a, a uh, an off shot from outside the box, nowhere near frame. You know, but I mean, at least it was an effort. You know, and then I, you know, I thought Cohen made a huge save to keep it one nothing right at the end of the first half. That free kick from just off the right edge of the box. You know, nobody's expecting Vega to whip that ball in on net, but Cohen made a great diving save near post, force it out for a corner, keeping the match at one nothing. That that was a key save because if, if if that goes two nothing right there at the half, you're you know, talking snowball you're, you're, effect. You're, ta- you're, you're talking Rising's deflated as they go into the halftime. But I think with that effort, keeps them on the toes. Okay. Still in the game, one nothing. You're losing, you know, you're losing to the top team in the West. You know, you can still pull a point out of this. But we didn't see a lot to uh, get our hopes rising, so to speak, in the second half. No, we did not. I, I, you know, one chance, mm-hmm. one chance in forty-five minutes, and again, San Antonio's controlling the midfield. Control, you know, controlling the play, forcing our players back, not connecting passes. That's just not Phoenix Rising soccer. You know, we, you know, it was talked about a lot on the broadcast that that San Antonio likes to play wide, and they showed that. 
They showed that, and they exposed this. They exposed the speed of Cody Wacasas, exposed the speed of Victor Vasquez, exposed the speed, you know, on on Watson and Tim, and that's that was just a disturbing theme of the second half. Was just exposure of, of what we don't have right now is is the speed in the midfield to control these guys. That's what killed us against Reno. And that's, again, what killed us again last night. I mean, we look at one chance in the 85th, Johnson throws a shot off wide. If that's the only chance you're getting in 45 minutes... You're not going to win did, many where, games. Where, 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 I mean, I was expecting to see a formation change. I was expecting to see some good movement as far as substitutions. We see Eric Avila come on, but Eric Avila didn't really do very much in that second half. Um, they brought my, uh, they brought Seth on. Seth didn't really do much of a whole lot, and it just it just fizzled out. It, it fizzled out uh, very much there at the end of the game. So, uh, I mean, I think listeners already have a sense that we're a little frustrated from this one. Anything that you haven't mentioned that you kind of want to add? Well, here's here's my here's my two biggest concerns. Rob Ramage in the middle of the park is supposed to be a stalwart defender and is supposed to be somebody that begins movement up the field. There were three or four times last night where Ramage hits the ball and he's hitting it twenty yards further than the furthest Phoenix Rising player out on the field. That is not that is, that is not what we need to see. We need to see more ball command from him. And I'm concerned that we're getting to a point now where he doesn't have that. The other thing I was concerned about, like we started to talk about at the beginning of talking about this game, is what is Omar Bravo's role on this team? I mean, we've seen him up top. We've seen him on the right. We've seen him on the left. He just isn't seeming to find open space like he wants. Is it that he's being marked too much by these defenders that he can't get open? Is it a matter of he's not used to this style of of play? Is it the fact that he's just, you know, he's 37, he's on the backside of his career, and, you know... Yeah, these are these are good questions that are worth asking. I mean, you're not the first person to ask them, and we've tried to be patient on this show. Uh, we didn't bring out the uh, pitchforks and spears from day one, like some people online. But I think we're at a point now. We're nine weeks into the season, uh, seven matches into the season, and it's you know what's going on. Bravo's only goal was in a friendly match, and we're already almost in June, so. You know, should we get him out of the starting 11? Uh, if he's going to stay in the starting 11, does he need to stick to one side? I think he has been a useful player sometimes, but the times where he's been useful, it's almost like he's more of a facilitator. He's the guy sliding a pass through to Luke Rooney for the winning goal against Los Dos. He wins a penalty kick in that game. He uh, assists players. That seems to be when he's been at his most effective this year. And then uh, the game against OKC last week, that would have been nice to see him break through. But in general, yeah, I mean, strikers, you go through valleys and peaks, but he's in quite a bit of a valley right now. And, of course, the the other obvious uh, uh, in-the-room question is, when does Didier show up? You know, everybody keeps asking every week, when is Didier going to play? When is he going to play? Everybody has to still remember he has not had a preseason like everybody else has. It takes people a good four to six weeks to get through a decent preseason. If you're looking at a timetable like that, he's got three, maybe four weeks in. So you're still looking at maybe another two weeks left if you if you're talking uh, normal preseason. Wasn't wasn't the signing announced though in? I want to say, when, when was the signing officially announced? I think it was in. I, I want to say it was in late April. Late April. Because that would put it. That would put us a month, almost. 
at this point. So, but I, you know, it was it was right before bye week, the first bye week. Right. So that would well, that would have been what around April fifteenth then. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I mean, here we are, six days past fifteen. So yeah, you're you're probably at five weeks right now. So maybe another week if if you're thinking of. A full preseason. Yeah, maybe he makes the Hollywood so, entrance in in yeah. L.A. against Los Dos. Or or Open Cup. Or does he make his does he make his debut in the Open Cup? That could be an interesting spot for him as well. If 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 you're looking at a normal four to six week time frame for somebody to get ready, you're you're hitting that time frame right about now. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> people before every match say, "Is Drogba playing? Is Drogba playing?" I mean. If you're only gonna go to a match because Drog was on the field or not, come on. There's a lot of good players here. Support the team. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously the the next match we look forward to now is LA Galaxy Two. Who are sitting literally near the bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. I mean when you got somebody sitting in in thirteenth, you know, that but, but then again, we said the same thing about Reno, and look what happened. <laughs> right, and they're only one point behind us now. They have a win and a draw their last two matches, a win against Red Bulls too, and then they go to uh, Rio Grande Valley and pull out a second-half draw against them 1-1. So this is not a team we can take lightly. You know, Some would say we were a little fortunate to get the 2-1 comeback win when we played them earlier in the season. So you know they're going to be hungry for, for a uh, revenge kind of a night this is just one of those games that can turn a season around and it's one of those there's no two ways around it you need to get a result yeah you need, uh, you need to have i think three points is, is a must here. i mean i don't even think you can say one point is is really worth it i think you need to get three out of this match you've got a you've got a team that's on the ropes i think you've got a team that still does not have an identity Think back to the last two years when they played under Kurt Anolfo. He's always had them prepped, ready to go, puts out a strong lineup. We haven't seen that yet this year from Los Dos. I think there's still a, a team in somewhat of a transition. I mean, you look at the lineup they threw out last night. Bring They brought Bradford Jamison back down. You know, to play again because he's he's struggling to find first team minutes again. Yeah, I mean, looking at the lineup, there are only, I think, three familiar faces from when we played them back in April. Ethan Zubak, who's their leading scorer, who put one in against us, and then uh, Hugo Arellano and Robert Castellanos. That's it. Those are the only three that were in the starting lineup back in April that were in the starting lineup yesterday. So we don't know who we're going to see on the field next Saturday, but we do know that they're going to be inspired no matter what and they're going to be trying to get a big result against one of their biggest rivals and probably our biggest rival and we do know they're going to be without Corva Rubius who picked up a red card in that Rio Grande Valley match so that'll be one player they will be missing uh, when we play them next week so let's move on to the next topic of the of the week which could be coming very soon uh, if if you're a follower of Brad Sesmat on Twitter, uh, give a shout out to Brad here. Uh, a couple of days ago, he said it looks like the the Phoenix Rising FC coaching search is wrapping up. They could announce a coach at the beginning of the week. I think it would be the smartest decision if they announced it Monday morning to the players. Gives them a week under a new coach to to get used to his style, get used to what he wants to do. Obviously, we talked earlier that, that Rick would probably continue to game plan game plan for the L.A. match just on the basis of the new coach not being very familiar with, with a lot of the teams and what's going on. But this would give uh, the new coach a chance to instill a system that most of these players could get, you know, start growing accustomed to. And maybe with a new coach, some of these players' responsibilities turn around in a little different, in a little different light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've all been waiting patiently. It's been over a month now, and uh, it would be really nice to get a big name, 
Sesmat said that he that they've interviewed over uh, well several big names from Europe and thirty candidates in total, which is incredible. Um, so hopefully we will get a big name in there, and if we do, um, turn to us because we will be doing probably a quick ten or fifteen minute episode if the news is broken on Monday or Tuesday. Um, I mean, because there's really no game action to talk about. It'll just be the instant reaction to a head coaching name and how we think that's going to shake out, you know, for the rest of the season and really just a quick instant reaction kind of deal. Yeah. All right, let's get into uh, what happened in the USL this week. Uh, on Friday, Tampa Bay got back to its winning ways, beating Toronto 3-1. to on Saturday, there was an exciting game in the East between Ottawa and New York Red Bulls. Ottawa took a 4-3 win uh, over the Red Bulls in, in what I thought was one of the more interesting games of the weekend. Game, probably the game of the week. Um, New York Red Bulls 2 are up 3-2, and then uh, Ottawa pulls it at the death with two goals in the 87th and the 90th. Um, kind of a scoring explosion for them. They're usually not a high-scoring team. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, FC Cincinnati got back to their winning ways with a 2-1 win over Bethlehem Steel. Uh, Harrisburg and Charleston, 2-2 tie. Uh, Louisville FC got a 1-0 victory over Pittsburgh. And then we'll get into some of the West Coast games here for the week. Uh, OKC gets a 1-0 win over Orange County. Uh, all of a sudden, now Orange County's kind of fallen a little bit off on, on their defending. Well, Give up four goals the week before. The goal here to, to OKC? I think with this one, it's going back to what I was more concerned with them about in the preseason, which is where are the goals going to come from? They were able to put some in the net early in the season, but they, I mean, two times in a row they've been shut out. Um, other than the 4-0 win against Los Dos, their only goal in the, in the uh, first rivalry fixture was an own goal. So they're starting to get in some tough times producing goals and they're a team that has really been similar to us as far as their uh, pace for the season so we'll be battling with them for that last those last few playoff spots keep an eye on Orange County uh, we already talked about the Rio Grande 1-1 draw with Los Dos uh, RSL keeps it going again a 5-2 win over Colorado Springs a pair of goals each from Velasquez and Chandler Hoffman they continue to stay on a roll, which I think is surprising a lot of a lot of pundits in the West. Yeah, it's another tough result for Colorado Springs podcasters in the BGN network, but um, they're still in the top eight for now. Let's talk about this one. Reno, six on the Seattle Sounders. Who scored nothing. <laughs> Who scored nothing. And what can you say about who will most likely be the May USL player of the month, Dane Kelly? Yeah, two hat tricks in three weeks. You know, I'm not a huge stats guy, but that's pretty good. And uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna get your first ever USL home win as a franchise, it's a pretty chill way to do it. 6-0, 4-0 at halftime, a halftime hat trick. So uh, yeah, things are really turning around for Reno. Unfortunately, we're the ones that kind of got them kick-started. Uh, and then there was a big score Saturday night where the Republic finally broke their massive scoreless streak, and they put three into the net, and they needed every one of those because they pulled it out 3-2 over Tulsa. 591 minutes, this goalless streak. Trust me, the, uh, the uh, Sacramento bloggers last night were... were Thankful that they could finally claim that this streak was over. Uh, Barrera in the 29th, Ochoa in the 31st, finally got them through that hump. Uh, Christian gets them the game winner in the 74th. That was it was huge for Sat for Sacramento to get three points. They finally needed to get back on the board, you know. But still, when you look at the Western Conference standings, you know. It's 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 two, and then it's a tight race. You know, it's it's Sacramento, it's it's San Antonio at eight zero and two with twenty six points, the only unbeaten team left in USL. 
Then you're looking at RSL at 8 and 1 for 24 points. And it's a nine point gap to third. Now think about 13. This. I have 13. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, 11. Or, or 11. Sorry, it's 11 points. <laughs> it's one of those numbers. Yeah, it's an 11. Sorry, it's an 11 point gap to third. Now, yeah. 11 point gap to third, but third to 15th in this league is only separated by nine points. Yeah. So go, go figure those stats. Well, out. and third through 13th are separated by five. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's unbelievable. You're looking at Rio Grande in third at four three and one with thirteen. Sacramento at four five and one with thirteen. Uh, Seattle two four five and one at thirteen. Colorado Springs three four and four at thirteen. Now, again, we talk about this in these terms. Look at all the teams that are above us. Okay, Sacramento's at or San Antonio's at ten. RSL's at nine. Rio Grande's at eight. Sacramento's at 10, Seattle's at 10, Colorado Springs is at 11. How many games have United played? Uh, you're talking about Rising? Or rising? Seven. Seven. So think about this. You're still looking at a big advantage in the hands of Phoenix Rising, that they have games in hand. And again, remember, they won't make up most of those games in hand until right towards the end of the season. Most of these teams have already made what is known as the Cascadia trip, which they'll play Vancouver, Portland, Seattle, all in one stretch. And we don't do that till September. We don't do that until September. So so you won't see a lot of this makeup until close to the end of the season. So if we're gonna make points, make them now so that you have the padding at the end of the season when you make that Cascadia trip plus the trip to plus the trip to Sacramento at the end of that Cascadia trip, and that's where you could see a big, huge difference in the standings that they make that jump up towards the end. And, and two really key matchups, two very winnable matchups coming up. Um, they are both away matches, but it's it's Los Dos next Saturday night at 7.30 if you can make it out to Carson. I'm going to be there. Uh, I would recommend it. might be a fun road trip. And then the week after that, actually on a Tuesday, June 6th, we will play the OKC Energy, who is in 14th place in the West. So they're both teams we've played before. They're both teams we've beat before, which can cut both ways. It could be good because we can scout them pretty easily. We have confidence. We've gotten results. On the flip side, they're going to really, really want to come after us and get the points against us on their home fields. And if I recall, both of those are pretty chippy matches. Yes, they were very chippy matches. All right, so we've gone through we've gone through one through six. We're at thirteen. Seventh is Swill Park Rangers at four and three with twelve points. Tulsa currently holds the eighth playoff spot, four and four with twelve points. And we get into Vancouver in ninth at three four and two for eleven points. Orange County in tenth, three three and one for ten points. Phoenix Rising eleventh, three and four with nine points. Reno in twelfth, two three and two with eight points. LA two and thirteenth with eight points at two five and two, Oklahoma City two four and one and fourteenth at seven, and Portland Timbers two in the final spot one seven and one for four points and fifteenth. So it's going to be a dogfight. That's that's, that's gonna, it's going to be a dogfight as we go through the summer months. What's nice is, you know, for for Rising is they have that nice blend of a home and road schedule. I mean in the in the past, it's always been, you know, road heavy in the beginning, home heavy in the end. This is where, I mean, this is every year where we kind of start seeing, okay, what is the makeup of this team? Where the June, rubber meets the road. June and July always have been Phoenix Rising slash Arizona United's toughest months to play soccer. This has got to be by far the biggest year where they have got to take advantage of this situation. If, the, if there's ever a better chance, this would be it. Yeah, and um, I'm looking at the June and July schedule right now. Um, a couple really tough matchups, but a lot of games against teams that are right around us in the standings, uh, and they're the games that you really just need to get results from. And if we can get results from them, we could really – build some momentum to maybe end up as a top four side when it's all said and done. Yeah. That takes care of the West standings for this week. Um, 
I know you've been gone for the last couple of weeks. You've had your fun over in Italy. I know you've got a couple of things you want to get off or you want to talk about as far as what you see, what you had seen while you were away. Fire away. Yeah, so, um, you know, I was gone during the official visit when the MLS came over. And, you know, I listened to the podcast and you guys covered it very well. Uh, just wanted to add like a couple thoughts on that. The fact that they're getting ASU involved and Ray Anderson in particular, who is the athletic director, a really bright guy. I think he went to Harvard Law School. Um, the fact that he is on board with this and that the MLS is trying to do a collaborative effort with ASU, with Phoenix Rising, and that all of these people are working together, I think it bodes extremely well for our MLS chances because it's in stark contrast to what's going on in San Diego right now where the MLS stadium plan is facing some opposition from San Diego State. When you're trying to build something that's going to be in a city for decades, you really need all the major players to be on board. When the major players aren't all on board, things get really dark really fast, which is what you've seen in some of these California stadium situations. And now you're seeing in Arizona the last few years with the Diamondbacks, the Coyotes. Um, we might even hear some rumblings about the Suns soon. So the fact that all the major players are on board is fantastic. And I think that's one of those things where you really see why our bid is just a cut above most of the other bids. I don't want to guarantee anything, but it's when I saw that they were going to ASU, one, I was not expecting it, but two, it just made me feel very confident about our chances uh, because I know there are some very bright people in the ASU athletic department, uh, some really bright people in the uh, Master Sports Law and Business program here, um, and a couple of them have been working with the Rising, so it seems like it's a real group effort. Love it. And also, kind of nice because you've seen the two MLS expansion franchises this year, Atlanta and Minnesota, are both playing in college football stadiums until their stadiums are ready later on in the season. And that's, that's um, what we could potentially do if our new building isn't ready right away. It just seems like a perfect idea. So that was one thing. And then another thing, too, if you do love soccer, which you're listening to a show about a USL team, you have to love soccer, go to another country and take in a match. And I would, if you have the means to do so, and ideally at a place with at least 50,000 fans, because I had the real fortune and pleasure to go to the Roma Juventus match last Sunday. And it was one of those nights that you can't forget even if you wanted to. Um, Roma even managed to get a win. Uh, which was even that much better, but just to see the support and see how much people care about soccer in other places, it is really nice. You brought up, you know, in, in your in your MLS uh, talking point there, you brought up the San Diego situation. It's interesting to see what they're going through right now versus what we have going on here. Obviously, Everybody knows the situation with Qualcomm Stadium. They want to tear it down and build something new on that property. Well, obviously, you know, FS, uh, FS Investors, which is the investors group over there, you know, has their sights set on a design that they want to do for this building. They want to include San Diego State University in the, in the process, but obviously there seem to be some sticking points with the land around the stadium that are causing issues between the, the investors group and the, and the school to try to work on a, a multi-purpose stadium that would house somewhere between 30 and 40,000 fans. If that doesn't come to fruition, obviously, FS Investors has said, okay, we'll go our own way with our own building and we'll downsize it to what we feel we need for a soccer stadium. But to get the, you know, to get the mayor on board with that earlier this week was quite interesting, to say the least. I thought, you know, mayor going and saying hey we back this investors group and, and what they're doing without really sitting down with the people from San Diego State and saying what do you guys think yeah to me it's almost a kick in the face to to San Diego State for what they're hoping to, to help out with in this whole project 
how does that compare to the bid? We don't know, you know, you, you don't hear a lot of things about a lot of these bids, which I'm glad for because it gives the league an opportunity to just sit there and no media pressure, no other outside pressures, and, and analyze each bid as to what they need for their league, which I'm glad for. But I think it would be nice to know every once in a while where the process is sitting, and I think that's something that, that I, I would hope the league in, in upcoming weeks, as we get closer to their artificial end-of-the-year deadline as to when they want to announce the first two teams of this four-team expansion set, you know, I think it would be nice to get an update as to where they feel the situation is right now. Are there still are there still 12 teams in the bid process? I mean, obviously we know about St. Louis's situation. We know about a couple of other situations. You know, Tampa Bay got their site approved. What's the situation in Detroit? Obviously Nashville has things going on with their... maybe uh, maybe at a certain point you're hoping that they cut off some of the fat so to speak, like Indianapolis, I don't mean to offend anyone personal or, uh, you know, hope no one takes us personally, but like Indy, you haven't heard anything from Charlotte. Doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. St. Louis, they really had a tough moment a few weeks ago. Um, and so maybe sometime during the summer, you're thinking, hey, let's, these are the eight teams we're still considering for these two spots. Is yeah, that what that, you're... That, that might be a nice idea at some point to just kind of, start weeding away some of these and you know we you know I don't think we got all the answers from the, the rising office staff as that you know what they heard and, and what things that they feel that MLS came to them and said this is what we need you to do or you know I don't think we heard a lot of that and I don't know if that's just because they're trying to keep everything close to the vest or if they're just you know they, they know what they need and they you know, nobody, nobody else needs to know it but them. So, but if you want a movie trailer edition of how the MLS official visit to Phoenix went, go to the Phoenix Rising Facebook page. I'm pretty sure they have it on Twitter too, and I think they just put it up a couple hours ago today, which is the 21st. Um, so you can go there, and they have like a two and a half minute video where it just shows all the MLS posse, all the Rising owners, and you know they stop at the. Uh, training facility they stop at a nice hotel in the morning uh, they go to ASU and they meet in Sun Devil Stadium so you get to see all the parts of the day Didier Drogba gets in on the act so check that out just if you want like a movie trailer for how that went and my last point for today um, obviously I think this is going to be a big week when you look at uh, what is to come we expect to hear a coaching announcement sometime this week, we believe. I think it's important that it comes early in the week just for the simple reason that it gives this coach enough time to start instilling a system because you've got between now and June 6th, you only have two matches. Yeah, you've got an open cup match, but that's, okay, that's gravy. But... For a coach to really start instilling his system, he needs to come in now, needs to start hitting the hitting the road running right away. And if it does happen, I think we're gonna see it, you know, I think we may see a transition week where okay, Rick is gonna put the game plan together, but we start to see the elements of the new coach and what his plans are. So Maybe to expect more than what we would expect out of an LA match. Okay, now we've got a new plan being put in place. I can get behind seeing even if it's a nil, even if it's a nil-nil draw behind a new coach. Okay, it's only because we're seeing a new system being put in place, and we need to see what elements and who fits where. I'm okay with that. If we stay with Rick this week and we still go on and no coaching change gets made, I think there needs to be some changes made in the lineup this week. I think we need to see a couple of different players. I think we need to see maybe that 
maybe Omar comes off the bench for the first time this year and give him 30 minutes and give him that freedom to run, push forward, and maybe that's a role that he starts to fill and becomes better at. I think we got, you know, I think we saw a little bit in Jason Gibbons this week when he played in the when he played in the Open Cup. I you know, I think we saw some good things out of him. And he hasn't been, you know, he hasn't been really given the opportunity yet. I would love to see him on a wing. Um, Edgar Areola played in the back, played played on the left for Vasquez in the Open Cup. I don't know that that's his true position. I know he's a midfielder by trade. So do we see him possibly push up in the midfield? That could be a possibility. Or are we just hoping to just you know, have a, a plug just for the next couple of weeks until we get Alessandro Rigi back and get him back in the lineup. I think that's going to be a big thing to watch over these next uh, two or three games as to what, what's going to happen with him. And and for me, and I think a lot of other fans, um, when we do get this new coaching announcement, I really hope that we're getting a coach, not just a big name, but someone who has a defensive vision and a defensive-minded outlook because – Phoenix Rising has not had a shutout this season. Not even in preseason. This is true. This is, this is very true. Even in our wins, we have not had one shutout, and we are almost into June. Stats can be really blunt sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, I would love to start seeing us get some shutouts. I mean, even the Open Cup, we conceded a goal. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's kind of... I mean, we'll, we'll find out soon enough, right? Yeah, yeah, we will. Shout out to uh, our buddy Matt Trainer who couldn't be with us this week. Uh, a little bit under the weather. So, Matt, we hope you get better, and we'll hope to have you back here next week with us. Uh, next week, you're planning to be in L.A. Well, hopefully we can hook up with you from L.A. after the game on Sunday, and, and we'll, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll have a bunch of news to go over there. You'll hopefully have some sound after the match. That's the plan anyways. But uh, thank you all for listening, and we will be back with you next Sunday.